before uh, we, we read, before we get there, um, on Tuesday night, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed into law a series of measures codifying and legalizing abortive practices, including abortion up to the point of birth. And when he did, this room erupted in applause. At conception, a new DNA strand is created that is distinct from mom and dad's. It is a new human life. At eight weeks in the womb, a baby feels and reacts to pain and has all of the organs necessary to support life. Yet, since 1973, it has been legal to end this life. And now in 2019, you can end this life up until the day of birth in New York. This is horrific, but this is also not surprising. And this is not the first one. New York was actually not the first state to pass this. Abortion has been legal in many different ways in many different states for over 46 years now. Over 60 million unborn babies have had their spinal cords snapped at the back of the neck or had their bodies pulled apart by abortive vacuums or forceps. The majority of these abortions were performed for convenience, not because of a medical emergency, and this is not even a worldwide number. This is the U.S. alone. However, we are not helpless, and we must not lose hope. We have a God in heaven who sees the brokenhearted and hears the cries of those without a voice. We can take comfort in knowing that this is not an unforgivable sin that these men and women can be redeemed, can be saved, just like any of us. We can take comfort in knowing that while New York is committing these new atrocities, pro-life pushes are growing stronger and stronger in 35 other states, and we are closer than we have ever been to abolishing abortion. We can take comfort in knowing that our Father will restore and renew all that is broken. We can take comfort in knowing that there is grace for those who have sinned in this way. So what should our response be? Like practically speaking, for you and I here where we live in Forney, Terrell, wherever we live, what should our response be? We serve. We listen. We love. We give money to Stillwaters, who just this year was able to prevent 33 abortions. We babysit. We donate supplies. We mentor young men and women, which you can also do at Stillwaters. We foster. We adopt. And all Christians are commanded to help orphans in some way. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their affliction, as James 1.27. But most of all, we pray. We pray that God ends the injustice of abortion. We pray that those in power would be convicted to change things. So let's pray. Father, we thank you in the most immeasurable ways that you are in control, that you are sovereign. That this is not new to you, that this is not something that has surprised you. And we thank you for all of the countless amounts of stories of, of, of abortion not happening, of you working in the lives and hearts of, of many thousands and millions of, of young women and men who have said, no, we're not going to do this. And we pray this morning, Father, that you would continue this work, that you would make it, at least here where we are, illegal. And even then, when it is illegal, 
there will be um, practices, there will be um, doctors who will still do it illegally. God, would you, um, would you change hearts? Would you step in, Father? Would you step into the lives and hearts of, of countless millions to show them the image of you in these children? We know from our scriptures, we know from the Bible that you hear the cries of those who cry out to you. God, would you hear these cries? The hearts of, whether it's politicians or doctors or men and women across the globe, God, would you change hearts? Would you save? And for those who are have been impact, impacted by this for those who this is their story. God, would you redeem and restore and renew their life as well? Would you redeem their life from the pit? And Father, let us as a church, as a body of believers, be ones who serve and who pray for this to end, for we serve the, uh, those who are outcast and those who really the, an abortion seems like the best thing for them. God, would you help us to, to serve? Would you help us to love them well? Break our hearts for this, Father. And in all of this, would you help us to rest in you, knowing that you are still sovereign. You are still in control. And we know just like slavery, it took many hundred years for that to end. We know that this is gonna come to an end as well. We've, we pray that you would do it now. In all of this, Father, we give you the honor and the praise and the glory of it because it is only a work that you can do. Who can change a heart but you, Father? We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we ask all of these things. Amen. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 3 will be in verses 8 through 12, but I have a question for you. What would make you love your life? What is it that gives you life? Is it coffee? Is it good food? Would living in the mountains with trees and snow do it? Would living on the beach in a hut with all-inclusive benefits do it? What if you retired and fished all day? Whew. What about a big house or a tiny house for whoever? I, mm. What about a paycheck, a smaller tax bracket, a tradition, spontaneity? What would make you love your life? If you thought about it, what would make you love your life? What is it that gives you life? For believers... Our answer is none of these things. I think that living here in this part of America, we can tend to get lost in the easy life, and so our answers, mine included, look a lot like what we just mentioned. But what we're about to see in our text is that loving our lives actually comes by a different way. If we desire to love life and see good days, we will live our lives to the glory of God and for the sake of other people, specifically by blessing those who are evil to us. And in the context, evil does not even do justice to what these men and women are experiencing. Uh, this guy here, his name is Tacitus. He was a Roman historian, just a handsome fella. 
But this is what he had to say about the situation, if you can just picture him saying it. Uh, he, he's a, he was a historian. He wrote this out. Therefore, to stop the rumor that he had set Rome on fire, he, that being Emperor Nero, falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most fearful tortures the persons commonly called Christians. Accordingly, first, those were arrested who confessed they were Christians. Next, on their information, a vast multitude were convicted, not so much on the charge of burning the city as of hating the human race. In their very deaths, they were made the subjects of sport, for they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs or nailed to crosses or set to fire. And when the day waned, they were burned to serve for the evening lights. And now, this caravan of Christians that Peter is writing this letter to, they're headed out so that they're not in evening light or killed for sport, but they're surrounded. Like imagine you and I, just mission church for whatever reason, if we were forced out from here, from, from the American empire, and we had to flee to Canada, like at every turn, there could be cities of people who despise us and who are trying to kill us. Probably not in Kansas. I think they just have corn there. But like you, you know that this is going through their heads. You know that they're thinking, okay, like we're being persecuted. We're being killed because we are bearing the name of Christ. We claim that we are Christians. So let's not do that. Like let's renounce Christ. Peter knows this exactly. This is what he did three times. After, you know, these people come up to him, Jesus has uh, just been taken to go be crucified and and people come up to him and like, hey, uh, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, nope, I didn't know that guy. And so Peter knows the exact situation that they're in and he's writing them and he's saying to them, stand firm in the true grace of God, stand firm. You are not here by happenstance, but by the sovereign plan of God to glorify himself and save sinners. Those people who are trying to kill you, they are made in the image of God and their souls have eternal worth. Bless them. And just think of the historical plan of redemption. How else is it that the people along the way of this dispersion would hear of God? It took the hard heart of a Roman emperor to exile a people, but little did he know Christianity was now going to spread into the other parts of his uh, empire. So why is this important for you and I to see? We are not here where we are on accident, but with the purpose of God's glory being magnified and his people being saved. As exiles of heaven, living here where we are, how are we to treat those who are evil to us, which that could be anyone at all? We bless them. Why? Look at verse 10. It says that whoever desires to love life, here we go, and see good days. That sounds wonderful. This is what those men and women are called to. So with this in mind, let's read the whole thing, starting in verse 8, going to verse 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father, we pray that this morning that you would remove any distractions that we may have, God. Any stress, any um, worry or anxiety that any of us are carrying, God, I pray that you would remove it for this time that we may just be with you and we may just hear from your word. God, this is a work that only you can do. Only you can remove stress and anxiety and worry from us. So we, I pray that you would do that by the power of your spirit in all of us, Father. And in this time, would you open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us? Would you change us and transform us? Would you work on our hearts and, and tear away all of the hardness of it? And give us a new heart of flesh that is longing to glorify you. Please do this, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> if we desire to love life and see good days, we will live our lives to the glory of God and for the sake of other people by blessing those who are evil to us, which is any and everyone. So how do we do this? From our text, we actually see seven commands from God, and I'm going to put them up here because there's seven. Uh, the first is have unity of mind. Second is have sympathy. The third is have brotherly love. The fourth is have a tender heart. Fifth, have a humble mind. Six, do not repay evil. And seven, bless. All of this is just right there in the text, so you don't have to, like, oh, I'm going to forget all these. Um, if they go off the screen before you finish writing or anything, it's just right there in the, uh, in the verses. How do we bless those who are evil to us? Well, we start with having a unity of mind. If you look at verse 8 again. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. What does this mean? Philippians 2 verse 5 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And if, if you've been here, this is everything that Peter has been saying all along. Be a servant. Lay your life down. Empty yourself out. Suffer. And mission, this is our unity of mind. Our call is always and has always been to suffer and to lay our lives down. And so since suffering is supposed to happen, it's normal. And since we know that, we can love in return. Because it's not going to be surprising to us that people are evil to us. It's like, yeah, okay, this makes sense from what I read in the Bible. I can love you in return now. So then the question is, are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to be, uh, to have evil done against you? And then love in return. This is our unity of mind. How do we bless those who are evil to us? By having unity of mind with our brothers and sisters to suffer together. So when you and I are going through something, it's like, yeah, man, hey, this is totally normal. Keep going. Second thing, have sympathy. If you look back to verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy. This word is elsewhere translated as, as compassion. Uh, this is Luke 10. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. But Jesus is talking to this lawyer and he says, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and everybody's thinking, oh, priest has got it. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, which is um, the this is where you get Levitical priests from, this, 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 the tribe of Levi, <clears throat> excuse me, he's supposed to be a good guy as well. When he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, similar as he's talking to this lawyer, it, these guys are similar to an ISIS member for you and I. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Same word here for sympathy. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Will you pay the cost? Will you pay the cost to be sympathetic, to have compassion? How do we bless those who are evil to us? by having unity of mind with other believers to suffer together, by having compassionate care for others. And then third, by showing brotherly love. Look back to verse eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. In Hebrews 13, um, the, there's a section where it just, it talks about brotherly love and then here's the, here are all the different ways you can show brotherly love and, and I just wrote them down for us. Uh, here are all the ways. Show hospitality to strangers. That's brotherly love. Remember those who are in prison. Brotherly love. Remember those who are mistreated. Brotherly love. Let marriage be held in honor. Brotherly love. Do not love money. Because if you love money, there will be no brotherly love. Remember your leaders and imitate their lives. Do not be led away by strange teachings. Doctrine is important to brotherly love because if you are led away by strange teachings, probably not going to love. Suffer as Jesus suffered. Offer up praise. Do good. Share what you have. Obey and submit to your leaders and pray for missionaries. All these listed in Hebrews 13. If you have any wonder about, man, what, how can I show brotherly love today? Go to Hebrews 13. How are you loving? How do we bless those who are evil to us? By having unity of mind with other believers who, to suffer together. By having sympathy and feeling what others feel by showing brotherly love and care to all, and then fourth, by having a tender heart. Look back to verse eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart. And I think this is really funny. Uh, Peter, he didn't have an x-ray machine to help guide him through the body um, because the word here translated heart does not mean heart. It actually means, uh, it's eusplachnos, which I think is just a cool word. Uh, but it means well bowel. So it's about your insides, like literally your belly. Tenderhearted in this sense means to be filled with tenderness in your belly toward others. So how does that happen? How, how do you have a well bowel? I don't know how I got tender heart out of that, or the English translators probably. Uh, but how? Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, have this full belly, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, a belly is only ever full of tenderness as it has been forgiven. 
and a full belly of tenderness forgives others as it has been forgiven. The tenderness that we feel, the, the fullness of our belly, the wellness of our bowel, if you will, is forgiveness. Just a part of why we are gospel-centered here at Mission is because of this. None of us will forgive if we don't understand the forgiveness that we have been given. So we talk about it every week. Are you full of the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus? How do we bless those who are evil to us? By having unity of mind with other believers to suffer together. By having sympathy and feeling what others feel. By showing brotherly love and care to all. By having a belly full of forgiveness to give others. And then fifth, by having a humble mind. Look back to verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Going back to Philippians chapter 2, here is the mind of humility. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Humility is to decide and think consciously that others are more significant than yourself. Literally, you are better than I am. Is this the way you view others? How do we bless those who are evil to us? By having unity of mind with other believers to suffer together. By having sympathy and feeling what others feel. By showing brotherly love and care to all. By having a belly full of forgiveness to give others. By counting others more significant than ourselves. And sixth, by not repaying evil for evil. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. This implies the, the repay word that there is a debt that has not been forgiven. Think about vengeance or revenge. Like, I'm going to pay you back. You're going to get yours, homie. But forgiveness is a brutal mathematical equation because it says, I will absorb all of the sin that you just dealt me and I will love in return. But returning evil for evil means, man, I'm going to seek revenge because you wronged me and something deserves to be done and that's legitimate like something probably does deserve to be done but Romans 12 says this repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Now, why is this even possible for somebody to act in such a way? Because in Jesus, all of the wounds of, of, of everyone uh, being evil to us and all of our suffering, all of those wounds have been healed. And so we can suffer it all in return with nothing but love. Is this you? How do we bless those who are evil to us? By having unity of mind with other believers to suffer together. By having sympathy and feeling what others feel. By showing brotherly love and care to all. By having a belly full of forgiveness to give others. By counting others more significant than ourselves. By not giving what is deserved. And finally, by actually blessing. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Bless here is the word eulogos or eulogos, eulogos. You can say it however you'd like, honestly. Um, but it's where we get our word eulogy. 
It means to speak well of with praise and thanksgiving. And notice, the text does not read, but on the contrary, once they've gotten their act together, then bless them. No. Bless. Praise. All seven of these are commands from God to think, to feel, to be filled with tenderness, to love, to be humble and other-centered, to not revile or, pay, or repay evil for evil. And all of this is in the context of these men and women who are being sought out to be killed as a sport or used as a torch. A sinful and human heart and mind will never obey God in, in these ways, especially not in these circumstances. How does anybody even obey a command to feel, to love, to have an emotion? We find the answer in the rest of our verses. Peter quotes uh, verses 10 through 12 from Psalm 34, which says this in Psalm 34. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away, repent from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Our call is to bless those who are evil to us and the means by which we do this is based totally and completely on these actions of the heart and mind, all of which are ours only if we turn away from evil. If we repent and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation and righteousness. And that is how we live this life. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. It is not that sinners need a better lifestyle of living with more good deeds to balance out the bad. It's that our sins need to be wiped out. It is that we need a new heart, one that is clean and perfect before God. And if we are in Jesus by faith, then we have exactly this. It is hard. It is somewhat difficult to look at these commands to feel and to have an emotion and to think, how? But that's the point. God gives us this new heart that can feel that and this new mind that can think in these ways. If we are in Jesus by faith, we have exactly this, a new heart. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus and so now we can live in such a way as this. Why do this work at all, though? Like, we get it. This is happening. Why do this? Why bless? Look at verse 9. Bless, the middle of it, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You and I were called to the purpose of blessing others when we are reviled, blessing others when they are evil to us. God has called and commanded you and I to this work, and he could just totally leave it there. And it would be totally fine and totally just with God to do that. But he doesn't. With this call comes a blessing for you and I. Living in the lives we were living of sin, headed toward hell, 
there was no blessing for you and I there. But in calling us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and calling us to the work of this ministry, we are now rewarded on behalf of another. Not only are we no longer condemned for the sins that we have committed, the sins of our past, present, and future, because of the sacrifice of Jesus to take on the condemnation for those sins, but now we too reap the benefits of living a life of perfection that we did not live, that Jesus lived, and that's the blessing of the Father. In Jesus, we inherit exactly what Jesus deserved. In Jesus, we inherit and obtain the blessing of being adopted into the family. We are accepted and loved fully and completely. And so now, God gives us a higher purpose and calling. As much as God loves you, as much as God loves me, he loves the rest of his creation too. This is why we are to treat everyone in this way. Whether we are going through suffering, whether we live here in Forney and we really don't see too much suffering, whatever it is, our call is to bless those who are evil to us. Everything from a simple sin to the worst atrocities in the world. This is why we are to treat everyone in this way. It respects the image of God in them. And it is God's means of showing, him, showing them himself. You and I get to be a part of the historical, redemptive work of God to save sinners and glorify himself. In light of eternity, what does it matter if we've been wronged? In, light of, in the light of the blessings of Jesus, who cares how many times we've been sinned against? The truth is that Jesus was mocked. Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus was beaten. He was whipped with metal shards and hooks, slapped, spit on. His beard was pulled from his face. Nails were driven into his hands and feet. A crown of thorns was driven into his head. His appearance, scriptures say, was marred beyond any human likeness. All of his friends deserted, deserted him and he was left to die on a cross alone. And worst of all, the father turned his face away from him for he could not look on the sin. All of it. Jesus suffered all of it. Not for him, for his own uh, well-being, but for the sake of those who would believe in him for eternal life. It's for the joy set before me that I do this. Part of our uh, gospel centrality is that we look at a text like this and it's like, all right, yeah, have unity of mind, have sympathy. Yeah, I can do that sometimes. But the truth is, we will never do this outside of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And so the gospel is, uh, maybe you're believing it for the very first time, and this Jesus character is, is new to you, and you're like, man, I, I want that eternal life. I want that salvation. But then uh, everything after that point it all still needs to be centered around the gospel because the gospel is that which reawakens us to this forgiveness that we have in Christ. It reawakens and reinvigorates us every single day to live in such a way as this. Because now we have a new purpose. Now we have a higher calling to glorify the Father. So that's why we are gospel-centered. That's why we would love if everybody focused on the gospel every single day. It's impossible because it is a hard work. 
but we must always come back to Jesus. Part of our gospel centrality as well is that we take communion every Sunday because it is a remembrance of the gospel that it portrays. So as we partake of communion, this is what we remember. There's no other way for us to be adopted into the family except by this body and this blood. If you are in unrepentant sin, the second half of our verses are for you to remember. Turn away from evil. Repent of your sin yet again and let the Father refresh you. Be reinvigorated and remember the good news of the gospel that you have been purchased, you have been redeemed. And come back. It's here for you. If you are not a believer, as it sits right now, there is no blessing for you. Because you are not yet of the Son. There are no amount of good deeds that you can do to save your soul. Admit that you cannot save yourself. Repent of your sins and believe that the work that Jesus has accomplished on your behalf is sufficient for salvation. It is for you. Please do not leave this room without knowing for sure. For all of us, here's our prayer. Father, we admit that we need this body and this blood to cover our sins. Would you, by your grace and Holy Spirit, give us the power to glorify you and live for others in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, the elements are at the back of the room, but take your time to, to pray through whatever it is that God has given you. And then when you're ready, the elements are at the back. Grab those, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them together here in a minute. For all of us, Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the only way we live a life such as this. Jesus is the only way we will ever see true life and good days in heaven for eternity. And so that's why everything we do is by this body and this blood. All of everything that we ever talk about is only possible through this act. It is all only possible because on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. That in our sin, there's nothing that we can do to ever reach eternity. But yet you sent Jesus as a savior for all of us. For all of us in this room, would you help us to believe in the good news of the gospel yet again this morning? To awaken us back to the forgiveness and the, the free grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us not get bogged down by anything else. But let us be lifted up by the good news of the gospel. 
empower within us by your spirit this kind of life that we may bless those who are evil to us that they may see you in us God help all of us in this room to simply be forgotten help you let, let your life and glory be manifest in us that everyone who ever looks at us or mission or us individually whatever they only see you Father let us bless those who are evil to us whether it's another Christian whether it's a, an atheist whether it's some guy at Subway Father help us to glorify you set our feet on a rock that we may stand on you. All of this, God, is only possible by your work, by your power, by your spirit. Would you do that in us? Would you remind us of the inheritance of this blessing? That we may not search for anything here. That we may not try to love this life, but the life that is to come. Help us grow our hearts for this kind of life. In all of this, Father, we give you the honor and the praise and the glory because who can live like this except for somebody that you have done extreme salvific work on? We thank you, Father, for such a story as this, for such a life as this that we see in Jesus that is now grafted, that is now ours. And it is by the beautiful name of Jesus we pray.